Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome. Posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome, or PRES, is a neurological disorder characterized by a range of neurological signs and symptoms and distinctive neuroimaging findings reflecting vasogenic edema. Both clinical and imaging characteristics are usually reversible. On average, about 40% of all patients diagnosed with PRES require intensive care monitoring and treatment due to severe complications like status epilepticus, cerebral ischemia, intracerebral hemorrhage, or intracranial hypertension. This syndrome was first described in 1996 by Hickley and colleagues who reported on a series of just 15 patients with neurological signs and symptoms including headache, seizures, visual disturbances, and other focal neurological deficits. Moreover, CT or MRI imaging suggested cerebral edema observed predominantly in the posterior regions. Now, since this first description of PRES, numerous case reports and case series, as well as retrospective retrospective observational studies describing the syndrome have been published. But it's important to note that there's been still no randomized control studies describing its presentation or treatment. There are two leading theories on the pathogenesis of PRES, but let's cover one of the leading theories in more detail. The predominant theory is that a rapid increase in arterial blood pressure leads to a hypertensive crisis or emergency setting the stage for PRES. According to this hypothesis, elevation of blood pressure above the upper autoregulatory limits leads to cerebral hyperperfusion, which may cause vascular leakage and vasogenic edema. Increased cerebral perfusion pressure contributes to additional blood-brain barrier dysfunction causing extravasation of plasma and macromolecules through tight junction proteins. The posterior areas of the cerebral hemisphere seem to be particularly susceptible, which is supported by clinical as well as neuroimaging findings. This might be caused by a reduced density of sympathetic innervation in the posterior compared to the anterior circulation, the later being more densely innervated by the superior cervical ganglion. This may prevent excessive vasodilation, which could reduce the risk of cerebral hyperperfusion in these areas compared to the posterior regions. All right, now here's a good place to stop and make a clinical pearl. Remember that PRES as a condition is not unique to pregnancy or preeclampsia. Numerous authors have reported similar conditions of PRES with certain medications like tacrolimus, which is a calcineurin inhibitor. Autoimmune disorders have frequently been reported in the context of PRES, as has renal disease. And of course, PRES can occur in the setting of preeclampsia or eclampsia. In a retrospective study, PRES was found in more than 90% of eclamptic and about 20% of preeclamptic patients with neurological symptoms. Now, compared with pregnant women with eclampsia or preeclampsia without PRES, significant elevations of hematocrit, serum creatinine, AST or ALT, and lactate dehydrogenase values were noted. All right, when we come back, let's cover the clinical findings of PRES.
Prez is characterized by a variety of neurological symptoms, usually going along with elevated arterial blood pressure. The onset may be acute or subacute, with symptoms developing within a few hours, up to several days or even weeks. Patients may present with signs of encephalopathy, including quantitative and qualitative disorders of consciousness, such as cognitive deficits or stupor, somnolence, or even coma. Epileptic seizures, focal as well as generalized, are very common and have been observed in about two-thirds of patients with Prez. In 3, up to 13% of cases, seizures may result in status epilepticus, which is one of the most severe and potentially life-threatening complications of Prez. Now, in accordance with the frequent involvement of the occipital lobes, visual disturbances such as deterioration of visual acuity, visual field defects including hemianopia and cortical blindness or visual hallucinations can be observed in about two-thirds of all Prez patients. Less specific neurological symptoms include headache, nausea, vomiting, and disorders of consciousness. And depending on the location of the lesion, focal neurological deficits have been reported. As for diagnosis, established diagnostic criteria have been lacking so far, and clinical as well as imaging findings are often not specific. So, the diagnosis of PREZ can often be made after excluding important other diagnoses. The presence of neurological symptoms of acute onset, along with concurrent blood pressure elevations with fluctuations, and vasogenic edema in neuroimaging studies in the context of associated comorbid conditions like preeclampsia or eclampsia make the diagnosis of PREZ more likely. Neuroimaging, in particular MRI, is the most important diagnostic tool. CT scans usually show vasogenic edema with a bihemispheric distribution, but MRI is more sensitive displaying hyperintense lesions in T2-weighted or fluid-attenuated inversion recovery called flare sequences. MRI lesions reflecting vasogenic edema frequently follow a parieto-occipital pattern. As for treatment, the treatment of Prez is symptomatic and based on the underlying pathology or condition. Again, specifically as it relates to pregnancy, that means control of blood pressure in preeclampsia or eclampsia. The management of hypertensive episodes and maintenance of normal blood pressure is an essential component of Prez treatment. However, there is no evidence based on prospective control studies that strict blood pressure control limits neurological injury or results in a regression of clinical or imaging findings. Another interesting finding is that most patients with Prez are found to be hypomagnesemic. That means magnesium levels are reduced in a high number of patients with Prez. So this fact, coupled to its known prophylactic anticonvulsant and vasodilating effects, hypomagnesemia should be avoided and serum levels should be maintained in the high normal range. All right, when we come back, let's wrap up this condition talking about prognosis and outcome following Prez in pregnancy. 
PRES-associated clinical signs and symptoms and neuroimaging lesions are reversible in the vast majority of patients. Remember that the R in PRES stands for reversible. The prognosis is mainly determined by the underlying pathology. However, neurological sequelae, in particular epilepsy, may persist in individual cases and may require long-term treatment. But so far, specific prognosticating factors have not been well described. Well, this raises a very important question. Should patients with a classical presentation of eclampsia routinely undergo imaging studies to look for this condition, given that the results may or may not affect their treatment? Well, of course, remember that current management consists of proceeding with expeditious delivery with administration of magnesium prophylaxis for premonitory signs of eclampsia. The efficacy of magnesium sulfate in preventing eclamptic seizures may in part be related to its ability to reduce cerebral perfusion pressure in preeclamptic patients with high cerebral perfusion pressures at baseline. Currently, it is expert opinion that confirming the diagnosis of eclampsia on the basis of clinical classic presentation can be done with reserving imaging for patients with atypical presentations such as those who develop seizures after delivery or those who remain post-ictal for an extended period of time after the seizure. In addition, the reversibility of clinical signs and radiological abnormalities may argue against neuroimaging of patients at risk of PRES. However, several conditions that can present during pregnancy and the postpartum period including acute stroke and systemic diseases that are associated with CNS vasculitis, like lupus, can also mimic eclampsia. So differentiating among these conditions, which may be difficult on clinical grounds alone, may affect treatment and long-term neurological outcome. For example, aggressive blood pressure control is desirable in PRES, in contrast to the management recommendations for acute stroke, which permit mild to moderate hypertension in individuals. So in conclusion, for patients with an uncertain diagnosis, timely neuroimaging and a diagnosis of PRES may lead to more appropriate decisions regarding treatment of hypertension, thus preventing the possible development of permanent neurological deficits. So in brief, be very, very liberal with the use of neuroimaging to rule out other potential systemic or CNS disorders that can mimic eclampsia because missing a diagnosis of PRES may have poor long-term sequelae. So remember, preeclampsia and eclampsia are by far the most common causes of PRES. And because most cases are managed without neuroimaging, the true incidence of PRES remains unknown. However, it is uncertain whether a cause and effect relationship truly exists between the two or if these represent independent processes with some element of clinical overlap. Clinical improvement always follows the treatment of elevated blood pressure and withdrawal of offending agents. Magnesium therapy should be initiated as soon as eclampsia, preeclampsia, or PRES is suspected as magnesium helps prevent and treat seizures and may help stabilize hypertensive emergencies. Remember to be aggressive in giving antihypertensive medications to keep blood pressures under the severe range.
Lastly, remember that early diagnosis and treatment usually results in complete reversal of the deficits over the next few days to several weeks. That wraps up our podcast covering posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome. We'll see you next time.